<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash bpshow, patreon.com slash bpshow. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show here on a Friday, November 3rd. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Gosh, I'm glad to see you. Gosh, I'm glad you all could join us here on a Friday. What a week it's been. Good God have mercy. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just never, it's just never ending. Oh boy. Uh, I, I mean, we have so much stuff to talk about. The Republicans got a tax reform bill uh, moving. They got it started. It looks terrible, but. They got it. They got something done. They got something out. I guess that's good news for them. We'll talk about that today. Also, it appears that Jefferson Beauregard Sessions has officially, definitively, let there be no doubt that he perjured himself. We will talk about all of that. Plus, November third, two thousand seven. We are still rehashing the same old BS. From November 2016. Well, it hasn't been a year yet. So almost. Let's get to what was it, the eighth last year? <laughs> it was the eighth. Yeah. So let's see where we're at then. So at least we're not over a year, but since the election, we can talk about what all went wrong. We're gonna get into some of that as well. Donna Brazil with a new book out that has a couple of bombshells about how the DNC viewed the primary and what that could mean for future elections. We're not going to spend a ton of time on it, but it is worth talking about, folks. All of that stuff coming up along with some great, great guests. But first, Jamie Benson. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple other stories for you on this Friday morning. It's Friday. It's been a been a week. It's been a week. As you've uh, indicated. It's true. For 11 glorious minutes yesterday, Donald Trump's Twitter account was down and dormant. Oh my God. No, for real. This this, this actually happened yesterday afternoon. And at 8.05 p.m. last night, the official at TwitterGov account tweeted, quote, earlier today, at real Donald Trump's account was inadvertently deactivated due to human error by a Twitter employee. Oh my God. Mm, human error. Oh. What could that be? Well, at 10 p.m., a follow up tweet revealed that Trump's account was deactivated 
by a Twitter customer support employee on his last day. I love this story. I have a lot to say about this story, and I'm going to save some of it for, for after the jump here, after the break. But, like, this is remarkable. Yeah. This is remarkable. Ray says this is patriotism. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, good for this person for taking it down, but... But I have some thoughts about what this could mean to, like, the safety of the world. Like, heaven forbid this guy, like, luckily he just deactivated the account. Luckily he didn't send out a bunch of fake tweets declaring nuclear war on, like, North Korea or something. Yeah, if only we could get the nuclear football out of his hands. Yeah. Uh, This has been a sad week for journalism in America. The Baltimore City paper, after 40 years, published their final issue on November 1st, just a couple of days ago. The owner of the paper, the Baltimore Sun Media Group, it's a a subsidiary of Tronk, the media company used to be Tribune Publishing, uh, says the city paper just didn't make enough money. So Baltimore City Paper is a weekly. It is no longer being published. I I love these alternative newspapers. I love the weeklies. I love the city papers. I used to read the Phoenix all the time. Yeah, I'm not not sure if they're still around. Uh, A big one yesterday, however, this involves uh, uh, two online websites. Joe Ricketts, who is the father of Todd Ricketts, the owner of the Chicago Cubs, a um, a billionaire and very conservative. Another reason to never root for the Cubs. He owns the sites DNA Info and Gothamist, which are basically hubs yeah. for a number of different um, city sites across the country, including our very own DCist, which yeah. I used to read every day, abruptly shut down these two companies because they tried to unionize. They did unionize. They did unionize. They did unionize, and about a week after, they shut the sites down. Just awful. Media, journalism is on a limping, broken leg. On your radio, on TV... And online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show with me, your host, Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Gosh, I'm so glad that you are joined with us here today, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. By the way, I know that a lot of you guys just like watch every day or go there and check it out or follow the link uh, from our our, uh, Twitter page, but go ahead and subscribe. If you've got a Google account, just subscribe. Uh, that way you get a little alert when we put new stuff up, which we do all throughout the day. Uh, and you can catch us live, uh, and you don't need all the reminders. Just go subscribe right now. YouTube.com slash The Bill Price Show. We are also on Free Speech TV coming at you. And uh, also, uh, this weekend, we are going to have a new podcast coming up in our podcast series, The Making of Bernie Sanders. Uh, interviews with... Our good friend, uh, Michael Briggs, who's the communications uh, director for Bernie Sanders, and Larry Cohen, who we had in here yesterday, the very first leader of a union to come out and endorse Bernie Sanders in the primary. And I kind of want to start there on the topics because yesterday was very interesting, and I'm not going to get into a whole back and forth about the Democratic primary and what went wrong and what went okay and what worked and what didn't, but... Yesterday, Donna Brazil published an excerpt from her book in Politico, and she has a new book out called Hacks, Hacks, which seems to have a bit of a double meaning because everyone's talking about the Russian hacking, but if you read this excerpt, it's clear 
Uh, Donna Brazil is pointing fingers about who the actual hacks are within the party, and those are the people who were working with Hillary Clinton's campaign. She writes about how the primary was, in fact, rigged and points to evidence where the primary was, in fact, rigged with the DNC ready to prop up the Hillary Clinton campaign in any way that they possibly could. She talks about Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the role that she played in that. And essentially what this comes down to is this was an agreement between Clinton's 2016 campaign and the DNC that was meant to keep the party financially viable. Now, look, there are two ways to look at this, and I'm I'm just putting it out there. <clears throat> there are people that say that Hillary Clinton paid off a lot of the debt of the DNC, uh, which is true. Which is true. And a lot of her campaign funds went to help bail out the DNC, and that is true. That is true. And the point of what Donna Brazil was saying is that Hillary Clinton had this arrangement and this agreement with the DNC before she was ever the candidate. To quote Donna Brazil, quote, this was not illegal, but it sure looked unethical. Quote, if the fight had been fair, one campaign would not have control of the party before voters had decided which one they wanted to leave. This was not a criminal act, but as I saw it, it compromised the party's integrity. Now, it's time for the Democrats to sort of galvanize and move on. And I'm not, I really don't want to spend a lot of time pointing fingers at all the, the, the bad things or the wrong things that Hillary Clinton did during the campaign. I, I'm reading this story from The Hill and... Look at this. I found a quote here from one source, Bill Press. No, really? Quote, the problem is some Hillary people kill, still can't accept the reality that she was a flawed candidate, so they're trying to blame it on anybody else just like she did in her book, end quote. Now, I'm not going to go that far. I know Bill is like pretty far out there on his support of Bernie Sanders. I'm not. Uh, but at the same time... This does confirm what a lot of the Bernie people were saying, that this was a rigged primary, that the, the primary was, in fact, sort of tilted towards Hillary Clinton. And you look at this, and you look at what Donna Brazile, who led the party, who led the Democrats, you look at what she says, there's absolutely no way to argue with that. Was it an unforgivable sin? Maybe not. Was it a pragmatic solution to get a candidate and to try and like wage this battle against Donald Trump? Sure, I'll hear that argument. I'm not here to, to, to bury anybody else. But my point is, everybody still piles on Hillary Clinton, right? And I'm not sure whether or not this was smart of Donna Brazil to put this out here now. Let me say this. It was smart of her to sell her book. Mm-hmm. Was it smart for the party? I don't know. I don't know. You know, you mentioned Debbie Washerman Schultz. She looks... Awful. She looks terrible in this. I mean, she already had her reputation ruined uh, in the summer of 2016 where she was ousted as party chair. Yeah. I mean, we we all remember that. Sure. You remember seeing her in Philadelphia just head hanging in shame. Yeah. Still, why why was she there, first of all? I don't know. She to Philadelphia. She was gone before Philadelphia. But you know another person who doesn't look so hot in this article, in this excerpt, I should say? Mm. Barack Obama. Yeah, you're right. Barack Obama left the party. $24 million in debt. Yeah. 
$15 million in bank debt and more than $8 million owed to vendors after the 2012 campaign. That is direct from Donna Brazil's excerpt. So, yeah. yes, this is a lot about Hillary. Sure. It's a a good portion about Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Yeah. But this started with Barack Obama, if it, I understand this correctly. It shows how uh, inept the Democrats are capable of being. Right? And, again, you look at this uh, legacy of Barack Obama, which I think it, it, through the lens of history, when we get a little bit farther away from it, is going to be um, – you know, it's going to stand the test of time. He did a lot of really amazing, wonderful things. But one thing that Barack Obama forgot about and also Hillary Clinton forgot about were the down-ballot candidates. And remember, there was some controversy around the time that Hillary Clinton went to a big fundraiser and her defense was, well, a lot of this money is going to go to the down-ballot candidates. And Donna Brazil points out that a fraction, a fraction of a fraction went to down-ballot candidates. My point in all of this is just saying the Democrats are still a fairly broken party. Uh, but, but, <laughs> they are not as broken as the Republicans. I mean... <clears throat> One more thing I want to say about this sure. is just 2008 was such a high, right? It was yeah the history of all history. Yeah, we uh, first African American president, a fantastic candidate, and overall, overall, when we look back on the presidency, a pretty damn good president in Barack Obama. Sure. Okay. Yes. But it's like a it's just a basic life lesson. When you're riding high, whether it's, you know, you, you just signed a, you're a, a, an athlete, you just signed a big contract, and you just start spending money in the club. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Trickling you... it down to all your friends and family members, giving it away real quick, because th those first two years of that contract, whoo. When you're that high, yeah, you got you, there's only one place to go. Right. And but then, then you, and they you spend all that money. Job of it. You spend all that money, and this isn't a literal comparison, but you spend all that money for that athlete, and then a couple years down the line... You're broke. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I see all of you tweeting at us, uh, KG. Bernie wasn't a Democrat, period. Uh, old man Bob, O-S-T-F-U. Uh, Bernie was never a Democrat. I mean, those are valid arguments, and frankly, I, I wish that Bernie had run as a Democrat, but the point is he was running for the Democratic nomination. And the DNC is not here to, like play favorites in that nomination uh, process. Right? Right. So I want anyway. them in my mentions, too. Give, bring me your hate tweets at DC. <laughs> Shameless plug. Put them out there. Yeah, give them to Jamie. Leave me alone. Jesus. He gets beat up enough. I got enough things going on. You want to talk about how your dog's in the studio? Oh, yeah. I brought my dog in. Hey, Weebay. Come here, bud. Come on. Come on. He, oh, he was sleeping. He was slipping. Come here. Urgh. There he is. So Weebay's here with me. He has an appointment later on today, so he came in and hung out with me. So you can only see that on Free Speech TV or uh, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It's the size of a human. He really is. He's a big boy. He's a big old boy. He's, know, got, he's got this cow head. Fun fact, we have a mini Weebay in the office as well. I'm kind of hoping that he's here today. Yeah. A boy Rigby. A pet of uh, somebody else who works here in the office. 
Anyway, he's hanging out in the studio. I didn't give our guests a heads up because I forgot that I had to bring him with me. But well, he's not an attack dog. Oh, you'd be surprised. Well, this he's a it, he it, might look dead behind. He might look like a dead behind the eyes cow headed dummy. Ruthless. A lot of bark, no bite. <laughs> He'll rip your neck Literal right out. Literal no bite. He'll rip your throat right out. <laughs> this guy. All right, get lost, dummy. Anyway, I, I just mentioned how the Republicans are in pretty terrible shape, too. I Yesterday, I God, you know, <clears throat> we really should start every show by remembering that the Republicans have the White House, the Congress, and the Senate. The White House, the House, and the Senate. They've got the whole shebang. And not only that, they've got a shameless president who will do anything. Like, they have unlimited power. And, like, we talked a little bit about Barack Obama, right? When the Democrats came into office, they had the same situation. When he came into office, Democrats had the same situation. They had the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and they couldn't even get card check passed. And now the Republicans, they couldn't get the repeal of Obamacare done, and now they're on to their latest pet project, tax reform. How are they going to get it done? Well, they're going to get it done with a lot of smoke and mirrors and, to put it bluntly, lying. A couple of clips from yesterday. (sighs) Kevin Brady. Where's he from? Texas? Yeah. Congressman from Texas. That you're gonna hear the <laughs> bloated Doug Collins. Looks like a bloated for any, for Doug any of you Collins. basketball fans out there. Bloated <laughs> Doug Collins. <laughs> I want you to listen to this clip where he talks about what we all are going to get with this wonderful tax reform. For a middle-income family of four making fifty-nine thousand dollars a year, as the speaker said, this bill delivers tax cut of nearly twelve hundred dollars. Twelve hundred dollars. Wow, that sounds like that sounds like a good deal. Our good friends from the Puffington host, or the Puff host, uh, Arthur Delaney and Matt Fuller, put out a piece about the Republican tax reform bill. The GOP tax plan cuts the corporate tax rate from 35 to 20%. Excuse me. Cuts it from 35 to 20%. I mean, look, we're far from a socialist country. Well, one thing that we had gotten uh, right and worked on during the period of President Barack Obama was these companies are going to pay more. 35% for a corporate tax rate getting slashed down to 20%. This tax reform bill phases out tax on super wealthy estates. This is known as the death tax, also known as the estate tax, which affects, again, a fraction of a fraction of Americans. I mean, there are so few Americans who are actually impacted by the estate tax. Excuse me, I don't want to say there are so few Americans impacted by the estate tax. There are so few Americans who actually have to pay the estate tax. Plenty of Americans are affected by it because they reap the benefits of it. You come to this country or you build up something in this country that makes you that much money, an absurd uh, amount of money, yeah, you should pay a little bit to your country. There's only so many Americans that own a mm, 40-foot yacht. Yeah, right, right. Also, this bill makes the uh, makes more wealthy families eligible for a child tax credit. So, you know, let's be honest. One of the best reasons to have a child is to get that tax credit. I'm kidding. Kind of. 
but super wealthy families were not eligible for it because screw you, you make enough money to pay for your kid. No. No. They get the child tax credit under this new bill. And this keeps the top bracket of 39.6%, but it sets the rate at a much higher income level. So, in other words, the wealthiest of the wealthiest of the wealthy sit at a 39.6% tax rate, but they're going to make that group even harder to have to pay. Anyway, it's grotesque what they're doing. It's grotesque what they're doing. And here, again, I'm not trying to bring this back to a Bernie would have won argument, but Bernie, when he was running, was kind of like, look, we we do need tax reform. We need people who make more money in this country to help share the burden, help carry the burden. And what Donald Trump is saying is, no, (laughs) these people need more breaks. They're already rich. They already don't have to worry about anything. Why don't we make their lives a little bit easier and lower their tax rate? We are giving them a big, beautiful Christmas present in the form of a tremendous tax cut. That is unbelievable. But asterisk, them is the wealthy. Yeah. Yes. And that's it. Right. I mean, just, just hearing him admit that this is a big, beautiful gift and time for Christmas. And by the way, we're going to start saying Christmas again. Merry makes Christmas, me, folks. Makes me sick. We're going to start saying it on November 1st, the day after Halloween. That's right. No, used to be Thanksgiving. No, not anymore. By the way, my girlfriend, um, she gets really excited about the, the post-Halloween uh, candy sales. You know, candy's listen, like half off listen, at CVS. I got, a, I got a real problem in my house. Bring me some. I don't have any. I, I haven't I'll bring, had any I will candy bring you this some. week. You don't, you didn't, you, she, well, so here's the thing. She didn't right? get me? So she, no, 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 she goes in. November 1st, the day after Halloween, just the other day, and CVS, would you believe it, already has the Christmas stuff a, out yeah. and didn't even put any of the Halloween clearance stuff out. There was only candy corn. That's Ooh. it. She likes candy corn, but that's beside the The unkindest point. cut of all. I know. The only candy you're available to get or able to get is- But this is what Donald Trump is doing. He's getting- He, he won't even let us have our Halloween clearance sales on let candy. Let us have- our 50% off Halloween candy sale. By the way, Target had that candy. I believe that. I didn't buy any because I am, I, I'm like swamped in candy. By the way, I got two kids. My youngest, he doesn't like chocolate. Full stop. That's too bad. Doesn't like chocolate. So he went out and got all this chocolate candy and gave it to his brother. And so they've got all this chocolate candy. Oh, my God. It's terrible. Anyway, you know, this tax reform bill, Bill has said, Bill Press, when he's here, he said, uh, they might not get this done. They really might not get this done. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, Democrats could screw up a two-car funeral. Republicans seem to be screwing up every move that they're making and can't get legislation done. And they're not doing a very good job of selling it yet. I'm going to tell you that. By the way, if you guys were lucky enough to uh, catch the first five minutes of the program where Jamie does the full court press, he mentioned that Donald Trump was without a Twitter account yesterday. How long was he without one? It was like 11 minutes. 11 minutes. 
<clears throat> so the world did not have at real Donald Trump, <laughs> which still makes me laugh. That his For 11 ex- minutes yesterday, <laughs> there was no looming threat of yeah. a nuclear war. Yeah. God, I said it wrong again. You said nuclear. I'm going to let you live, but mm. nuclear. I'm just going to say nukes from now on. There you go. Well, here's my point, by the way. <clears throat> I'm not so concerned. I mean, look, I think that it's great that the that, the, that this Twitter employee shut down Donald Trump's account for 11 minutes. And that is what happened. A Twitter employee on his last day, his or her last day, went in and took his account offline so he couldn't tweet from it for 11 minutes. And so Twitter had to come out and apologize and say they're sorry, and they're going to conduct an internal review. Never mind the fact that Donald Trump shouldn't have a Twitter account to begin with because he treats it like a child treats it. Never mind the fact that he should have had his account deleted for multiple egregious errors on there. But Twitter is lining up to say, oh, we're very sorry. You should totally, totally have your account back. But... My first reaction wasn't good for this guy for doing it, this guy or gal for doing it. My first reaction was, thank God that this person didn't tweet something untoward or something bad from his account. Like, heaven forbid. Heaven forbid this person had said, I am now announcing a nuclear attack on North Korea. Bombs will drop within five minutes. That's a good point. I I hadn't thought about that. Because look. Would you be shocked if Donald Trump declares war via Twitter? No. Not even in the slightest. We've come close. I wouldn't even blink. I mean, I would blink, but <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked. And then you might be dead afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally right after the blink, I you might, might blink because yeah. it's the last thing that I can do before uh, creeping death finally catches up with me. But my point is, Donald Trump absolutely would launch war via Twitter. So, like, North Korea would not be crazy to believe that. If someone was to do that or, you know, name the country, I just, with all this stuff about the ads and Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff, I'm really starting to hate most of this social media technology crap. I'm thinking about deleting my Twitter account. I'm not even kidding. I debated that. No, I'm serious. Don't roll your eyes. I'm serious. Don't be one of those people. No, it's just, uh, you know what? If we all deleted our Twitter accounts, imagine how much better the country would be. Think about that. Well, yeah. And maybe newspapers wouldn't be dying at a rapid rate. Fair. It's just nonsense. It's still a remarkable communication tool. Don't get me wrong. It is a remarkable communication tool. But at the same time, it's also turned our society into a weird collection of people using proto-language who can't actually like process a coherent The problem is, is that if you quit Twitter and say millions of other people go with you. Sure. Which won't happen. No, they won't. There's going to be something else. There'll be a next Twitter. I know. That's what happened with I, Facebook. I know. I, I all, know all the young people, you know, f- migrated away from Facebook, and they went to Twitter, or they went to Snapchat, and they went to Instagram. I don't disagree with that, but I also think that, like... Twitter maybe is the most dangerous. I think th- that's, 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 my, that's my point. I mean, you could start something really... Because of the immediacy of Twitter, which the other social media platforms don't necessarily have anymore uh i I don't know it's like texting you know like so much gets misconstrued in a text because of its brevity yeah like 
I can't tell you how many arguments I've gotten into with my girlfriend because she's misconstrued one of my texts or vice versa. Yeah, sure. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a real thing. And that's what happens with Twitter. Yeah. And that's why Donald Trump should not be using it as a mouthpiece to the world. I love Twitter as much as I hate Twitter. Yeah. I think that's a fair way to it's put it. It's a garbage fire one day, and it's a freaking paradise the next. That's that's a good way to put it. By the way, Donald Trump tweeting 35 minutes ago. Shit. Uh, at real Donald Trump, he acknowledged what happened last night or yesterday, I should say. My Twitter account was taken down for 11 minutes by a rogue employee. <laughs> it's an Alex Jones language there. <laughs> I guess the word must finally be out and having an impact. Okay, what, what does that mean? All right, <laughs> I don't know what that means. But I'd like to hit on his um, Hillary Donna Brazil DNC tweets. Oh, I'm he sure. Starts off talking about one. why the Justice Department isn't looking into Hillary Clinton. I won't read that tweet verbatim, but I just I love this tweet because it made me think of something that happened almost a year ago mm. today uh, at the at the finish line of the election. So he tweets. This is a second part of the first tweet. New Donna B. book says she paid for and stole the Dem primary. What about the deleted emails? E is capitalized. Uranium, Podesta, the server, plus, plus. He did plus twice. Oh, God. Do you remember this wonderful moment from November 8th? Brexit, plus, plus, plus. Uh, I'm so happy he did that. Oh my god! I wouldn't have thought about that. I mean, because we had the cut, cut, cut act this yeah, week. Yeah, that's right. And now, once again, plus, we're plus. back to plus, 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 plus. Oh, he's—I I don't know. I oldest, dumbest, fattest president. <sighs> I think that's the only way. We just need someone that he trusts to diagnose him. Like yeah, the kooky. Uh, what's what's the Dr. doctor? Vinny Boombots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever, that guy. Whatever his name. Unfrozen is. caveman lawyer. His uh, his what's that guy? I forgot that guy's name. Yeah, he should just come. And be like, yeah, this guy has holes in his brain. Yeah, he should be president. By the way, uh, one other quick story. In case you guys were wondering if Jeff Sessions, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, perjured himself. Uh, breaking news: Jefferson Sessions a hundred percent perjured himself. Uh, Jeff Sessions was asked in January by Senator Al Franken if there was any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign communicated with the Russian government in the course of this campaign. What will you do? Sessions responded, quote, Senator Franken, I'm not aware of any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have, did not have communications with the Russians. And I'm unable to comment on it, end quote. But, 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 we have a conflicting story. Jamie, perhaps Senator Franken can help us uh, pronounce this guy's last name. George. This George Papalopoulos. George Papalopoulos. George Papalopoulos. He did that on purpose, by the way. Probably. Watch the clip. There's a little bit of a smirk after he does it. Papalopoulos. little SNL. It's the only funny thing Al Franken has ever said. Papalopoulos. Papalopoulos. But George, I'm reading right from the New Republic. George Papadopoulos' guilty plea indicates that there were attempts in the Trump campaign to arrange a meeting with Putin 
and that Sessions was aware of them. As CNN reports this morning, quote, the chairman of Trump's national security team, then Alabama Senator, now Attorney General Jefferson Sessions, shut down the idea of a Putin meeting in the March 31st, 2016 gathering, according to the source. His reaction was confirmed with another source who had discussed Sessions' role. So, that sounds like a lie to me. That sounds like Jeff Sessions done went and lied to Al Franken. I mean, look, shock of shocks. The Trump administration is made up of lying liars. But this does look like perjury. Will anybody go out and, you know, hang Jeff Sessions high over it? No, I don't think so. No. No, I don't think so. The Democrats, I mean, first of all, they have no power. Right. Second of all, a lot of them probably are still friends with Jeff Sessions. Remember yeah, that exactly. during the confirmation yeah, exactly. hearings? Yeah. About, oh, you know, I used to work out with Jeff Sessions. Shut up. Screw Jeff Sessions. Don't be friends with Jeff Sessions. I have a I have a I have a pretty hard and fast rule. I don't know. Maybe you guys um have a different one. I'm not friends with racists. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a handful of people out of my life. For you, you must have cut what like hundreds. Oh, I've cut so many people out Gro- of my life. Growing up where you grew had up, had to, had to. I had to cut a ton of racists out of my life. I just don't. I don't befriend racists. <laughs> Call me crazy. <laughs> it's way, sort of a non-starter for me. Did you watch him? Um, just really quickly. Go ahead. Did you watch Bill? I don't watch Bill Maher anymore, but this clip where we going here popped up i don't watch bill maher okay you know what i watch. van jones was on bill maher did bill maher call him the n-word no joy behar was on as well Oh, i did see this and i love this and van jones is still beating the drum of we need to sit down and talk to trump voters and understand where they're coming from and see if we can find common ground and joy behar basically said f off yeah like we have found that that does not work it doesn't work we need to fight fire with fire. I, I will say, I will say, I, I have a lot of Trump supporters in my life. And I think a lot of them have been uh, drinking the Kool-Aid for far too long. And they're just knee-jerk Republicans, no matter what, amen, and, and won't get off that bandwagon. And I'm not saying I understand it, but I do sort of see how you can get so drunk on ideology that you don't see it. But, but, we don't have to, like, listen to that point of view. I don't think that that's a real point of view that belongs really in the future of this country. I think we could just leave it in the dust. And if they don't like it, too bad. Folks, it's Friday, November 3rd, 2017. This is The Bill Press Show. Remember, we are streaming live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Again, go subscribe over there. You can get all of our content. And by the way, remember, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash BP Show, where we, this weekend, will be putting up the latest episode where Bill interviews Larry Cohen and Bernie, Chief of Staff, or excuse me, uh, Communications Director, Michael Briggs, In our series, The Making of Bernie Sanders, it's our special podcast series, which you can only get if you subscribe at patreon.com slash bpshow, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash bpshow. Very quick break, and we'll be right back with more of The Bill Press Show. Plus, plus, plus. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at facebook.com slash Show. This is The Bill Press Show.
live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill today on a Friday, November 3rd, all day long. Jamie, do you have any big weekend plans? you do anything this weekend? Uh, yes. My girlfriend is moving into our new place. Oh, look at, oh that's right. You're moving in. <clears throat> well, I'm You're not moving, moving in, in until sometime in November. Right, but you two are moving in together. Yeah, first time. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. How you feeling? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. That is the correct answer. Yeah. Uh, good, good, good grief. There's so much stuff to talk about today, and it's been such a week. But, God, isn't every week just a week? Um, we're joined now by press secretary at 6, the State Innovation Exchange. You might remember her from her previous appearances on the show as a reporter. Now she's the press secretary for the State Innovation Exchange. Her name is Karen Bruggerman, and she joins us now. Hi, Karen. Hi. How so are you? Here. I'm great. First of all, uh, I want to ask you about the State Innovation Exchange, six. What exactly is it that you're doing now? Yeah, so for political junkies, I think the most straightforward, easy way to understand what six is is that we're effectively the progressive alternative to ALEC. We kind of fill that same oh, space okay. all on right. the left. But Excellent. I say that knowing that ALEC, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, they're a conservative network of state legislators. We're a progressive network of state legislators. Um, we operate differently. Alec has a bad reputation for a lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> How are you different than Alec? Yeah, we don't take corporate money. Uh, we're structured as a network. We don't make members pay dues to interact with us. We don't take... We, Alec is effectively a lobbying group for big businesses and corporations. Mm. We do not function like that. We offer policy resources, but we're not handing down mandatory legislation that all legislators in our network must pass. We offer resources on a lot of different issues, um, and we work with a lot of partner organizations to come up with those resources. So it's not this, like, top-down authoritarian type of system. Um, it's more that sounds good, I progressive think. and open and diverse and inclusive. Um, so in that sense, I think we do, we don't, we want to avoid those kind of negative comparisons, but in terms of helping state legislators be more efficient and more effective and better trained and better resourced and able to network and learn from legislators in other states and what they're doing, we're there to help them do that. Well, it's so interesting because like we talk often on this show about how so many people forget about state legislatures yep. and <laughs> how, hey, it was a great eight years with President Barack Obama, but in that eight years, we lost a lot of ground on the state level. And so Absolutely. anybody in any group and anything that is helping these state legislatures figure it out and be more effective... We're all for. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that gets lost, so many people will ask me or ask us, like, oh, do you guys work on elections? And it's like, yeah, you know, we have a, the technical answer is we have a C4, six action that could spend some money advocating for issues. But there are so many groups that pour so much money into elections. But then with legislators, because a lot of them are part time, they don't make a lot of money in these roles. Once they're there, it's like in terms of training and helping them be good legislators and advance good policy, there just aren't a ton of resources. Yeah. So we're really feeling filling that role. Um, so it's not as much as it is about elections. We need to win the seats back. The second part of it is what do you do once you're there? And I think conservatives really hammered that and nailed yep. it because uh, you saw that after 2010 when they won back a lot of state houses and yep. they just immediately passed a lot of re really conservative policies and it was really uniform across the country. So the goal is that if we can help, if progressives can win back more seats, they'll be prepared to pass really good legislation. Once they're I, there. I, I was just making the uh, the argument. This, is, of course, was on a national level, but it was also a problem on the state level. Uh, 
in 2008, Barack Obama wins the White House, Democrats have the House, Democrats have the Senate, and not a lot happened. I mean, there was some things that got done. I don't want to take away from it, but like, right. you know, things like card check, you know, just got completely left in the dust. It was like, yeah, well, we're not going to get that done. So, like, anyway, my point is, uh, I think it's great that you're out there uh, helping these states because Lord knows they need it. Uh, the reason I had you in to, to talk about this, we've got a couple of other things to talk about, but uh, people who are on social media and use social media at all probably saw several stories a couple of weeks ago, the Me Too hashtag, specifically yeah. women, right? Yep. Yeah, it was everywhere. It blew up. It yeah. was, um... And it was women sharing their stories of either being sexually harassed or sexually assaulted or just generally discriminated against because they are women. And it was really, um, here I am as a white male saying, <laughs> gosh, this was really eye-opening to me. Was but, it? Because even as a white woman, I'm like, oh, this this happens. Women just don't speak up about I, it. I was going to say, the, like, the, thing to was... me, the thing to me that made it so eye-opening wasn't that I didn't think that this happened, but that it confirmed what your suspicions, what I had been hearing forever, right? Like from a lot of women in my life that like this is rampant and this happens and this it's really not covered up very well. It's like right out in the open and no right. one really seems to care. And I was like, yeah, no, that makes sense. But then you see it and it's like, oh God, it's just way worse than I thought. So my my point here is, how do we do something about that? Well. Yeah, no. That, so you guys have a solution. This whole phenomenon. I mean, it's interesting for a lot of reasons. I think with the, it started with the whole Harvey Weinstein thing, but I think the thing that made it different was you had powerful women speaking up and accusing a powerful man. And so, a lot of the time, the problem is that when women who aren't famous or aren't powerful make accusations, they're not believed. There's doubt cast on those claims. It's sh put shuffled aside and shuffled under the rug. But I think this sort of changed it. So it encouraged a lot of other powerful women to also speak up. So you had state legislators talking about how they've experienced groping and harassment, uh, sometimes by fellow legislators, by lobbyists, um, and how this is really pervasive. It's not just Hollywood. It's every industry. It's every job. It's not just yeah. politics. It's not just people who are famous it's business it's you could be working in the fast food industry and experience harassment and this happens to women everywhere all the time but i think by having powerful women speak up um and be part of this conversation that's what's made this feel like it has some like momentum behind it so anyway, just just on that point like one of the one of the most eye-opening things that i didn't realize is you talk about all the different jobs like in the restaurant industry there was a Big story out of New Orleans, a chef, John Besh, who's sort of like the king of New Orleans, and, and the sexual assault and harassment in his organization was rampant. And the craziest part of that was they didn't even have an HR department. So if you were a woman who was harassed or assaulted or needed to talk to somebody about the behavior of, uh, you know, this type of stuff, you didn't have an option. Right. And that's actually the really interesting thing about legislators or people who work in state capitals or even in Congress uh, as staffers or anyone who's in that like capital ecosystem is that they also don't have an HR department because the way to fire an elected official, only voters can really fire them. So you can't just have some senior person come down and boot someone out of office. It has to be about create if it's actually a matter of a legislator being the perpetrator, it's a matter of 
you know, credibility and creating pressure to the point at which they resign. But it's like a whole different system where in terms of reporting it and actually having people be held accountable for their actions, it's like a different beast. Mm. So only about in terms of the environment and the legislatures themselves, I think only about a third of all chambers have actual written policies for reporting and responding to sexual harassment. Um, But the legislators themselves are obviously in a position of power. I think people feel shocked that it happens there, though it's not surprising because politics, like so many industries, is so male-dominated. It shouldn't be surprising, but they're in positions to write the laws that impact uh, sexual assault and harassment policies. So it's particularly discouraging, I guess, that it happens there as well as other places because they're the people kind of writing the rules. And that's the... um, We had a group of seven female legislators who banded together and wrote an op-ed in time, and they had all spoken up in their own right, in their own states. Mm. So we had a state senator from Oregon, a state rep from Rhode Island, we had a member from California and Illinois, and they had all been vocal about experiencing harassment, but they joined together to write an op-ed just to make the point that, you know, as legislators, we should be leading the way on writing good policy uh, on sexual assault and harassment that impacts women in all industries to protect victims, to make it safe, uh, to empower people to speak up. Um, And I know there's been a big debate I think the most public debates over this topic, you hear a lot about sexual harassment on college campuses in the military, um, but there are, you know, harassment and assault happen at all places um, and manifest themselves in a lot of ways. But so there, I could run through like a list of all different types of policies that these women were advocating um, for legislators to advance. I I actually do want to hear about some of those because I, I think that that is really important for fighting this stuff. I mean, it's. It's really hard at like for a woman to speak up about this, right? If you right. don't have a definitive some definitive back backing. You right. know what I mean? So Yeah, no, and it's a really I think it's a really complicated issue too, because I think with you know, a lot of the women who have spoken up haven't named their accusers. And I think especially as a former reporter, there's like this, let's get these guys. Yeah. Like we want we want the names, we want to know who it was. But like if this is someone that you work with every day, Um, or someone who has some type of control over your own career, or even for women who aren't famous, what if your harasser was a landlord who controls your housing situation? Like, there are a lot of reasons why women don't speak up or name their accusers because it's a really tenuous situation. Um, But basically, I think in terms of, you know, the policies of protecting victims or things that you can do to protect people in terms of safe housing policies, if someone needs to break a lease to avoid an abuser... You can, there are ways to adult to address sexual assault and rape in prisons. This is a matter of having prevention and education programs in like K twelve education and also on college campuses. Like there are a million different policies that you could be advancing. And the point was like let's work on these. Let's do something. One small tiny little aspect of this, which which you hit on. Well, it's not, it's, it's really not that small. But like <laughs> something that people don't really think about all the time is like breaking the lease, right? Like if you're living with an abuser and you're getting abused. You really have to sort of like, how am I going to get out of this? Yeah. And that's I like, can't get out of my lease. They're not going to let me out of my lease. It's going to cost me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So I'll just stay. I'll stay with this. Yeah. No. And I think that's like an example of how I think a major thing that I would think needs to be acknowledged in this debate is. And this, you've seen this play out in the debate over Title IX enforcement with Betsy DeVos and on college campuses. It's uh, should all, if it's a matter of serious assault or violence or abuse, should it automatically have to be reported to law enforcement? But I think mm. the reality is very few 
sexual assault and harassment cases are prosecuted and even fewer result in actual criminal convictions. So if you're someone who's been assaulted, your options of going through the criminal system, which is going to be expensive and time consuming and unlikely to actually result in a conviction. But then you're still faced with what do I do about this person who assaulted me? That's where it's a matter of there are things that colleges, there are things that workplaces, there are things that institutions can do to support and protect and aid victims completely outside of the criminal justice system. And that's part of like changing the culture, like believing people's stories of a landlord being required to say, hey, you can break your lease if it means if it's a matter of avoiding your abuser. And that's not something that's like it shouldn't require a criminal conviction in order for them to be able to break a lease. So right. Right. No, that makes sense. Well, I I, I think it's fascinating and it's so it's so rare that we see a lot of the like um, online activism and things like that sort of turn into actual law. Right. It's tough. And that's it's actually, really hard. That's something that our executive director, Nick Rathode at Six, is really passionate about is this idea of trying to connect activism and social movements with actual legislation. So it's like connecting movements like this. And it's hard to turn, you know, because it's one thing to speak out and raise awareness and, you know, uh, try to build momentum for cultural mm. change, but then to like ch- channel that activism into maybe legislation on, you know, require making it so that people who have been sexually harassed or abused can break a lease like it, it doesn't have the same like it's going to attract a support and interest from a different group of people but in terms of making sure those conversations are connected and people are listening to each other and yeah. people are participating in this like the legislative process and like figuring out what we can actually do it's hard but that's something that six wants to do i like it i mean i like bridging the gap between just saying your piece online and turning it into something i think that is really really important it's also sort of like the next evolution of of how laws get made, right? You make your voice heard online. Well, we're going to make it uh, heard through actual legislation. I want to bring up <clears throat> this piece uh, from NBC News because it talks specifically about the work that Six is doing. Divided Democrats seek answers to Trump in the states, and I've I've said this from early, early on, right? Like the the best way to uh, or the best shot that you have at sort of combating the 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 Trump administration, things that you don't like, is going to be like on a state level. I think California and a lot of other sort of progressive states have said like, hey, we're not going to go with that. Yeah, yeah. Like, whatever it is, you know, like whatever the Donald Trump legislation or decree or executive order, they just kind of say like, eh, I, I don't think so. And I think that's really important. And that's kind of how we're going to live as a country under Donald Trump. Yeah, no, we've definitely seen that. And I think the like we already talked about at the very beginning, the reality is that progressives and Democrats aren't in control of all that many states, especially right. like having the legislature and the governorship. Right. Um, but I think California. Uh, oh, God, the states wa- not quite Washington, Oregon, Hawaii, um, Connecticut. OK, I'm missing like four or five. That's I think all right. I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, no, but like I'm trying to think this of is like some one of those stats where I know I need to know it offhand. <laughs> and like I just I just don't quite. I know it's like six or seven. It's all right. Um, but. Anyways, you caught me. But yeah, no, that's no part of the thing. I think where we've seen that the most, given the absence of legislative majorities, is through attorneys general who have said like, hey, we're not going to enforce this. This isn't legal. This isn't constitutional. We're going to fight this and join together. You've seen that many, many times, uh, which I think is awesome. But definitely states like California get a lot of attention because they're so overwhelmingly Democratic that they can say, actually, we're going to pass some policy to protect people in lieu of this national policy that came down. Um, and it's great. And I think, you know, hopefully if we can win back more chambers, 
and more governorships next year, we'll be able to see more of that. And then this is essentially, I mean, what 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 we've seen happen kind of a couple of times is like, then it just turns into like a lawsuit, all right? Like the state versus Donald Trump. And you know what? Donald Trump isn't winning as often as he'd like on these things. You know, like he's seen, a, he's taken a lot of losses in uh, in court. So yeah, no, so many things. I it like with the transgender military ban, which just got, I think, shut down in one court. It's like if you're trying to roll back people's basic civil rights, like we're past this. And I think there are right. elements of our legal system that recognize that quickly. Um, but it's just so deflating and infuriating to see things that we feel like we're so beyond. Um, still coming down, but yeah, the legal system. Like that's a fight we had forever ago. Like we're done with this. We don't need to go through this again. Like the Bill Clinton "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" era of of uh, military policy with regards to the LGBT community. Like we're we're pretty well past that. Yeah, no, and I think states, um, a lot of progressive legislators I know on issues like healthcare in case the ACA is repealed or scaled back in terms of protecting dreamers. There are bills that they can put forth to try to, not just on sexual assault and harassment, but to try to protect people and like protect people against things that have been coming down federally. Um, and that's been a big part of legislation this year. And I think going into 2018, we're going to see it again. Um, and I, yeah, six is we're not the type of organization that we don't want to put all our eggs in the basket of waiting until progressives have majorities we're about working with legislators to see what they can do now yeah. and um going back to the sexual assault topic i think that is w- encouragingly one topic where there can be a lot of bipartisan support for some of these measures so yeah and you know one of the things that's been sort of we'll, we'll, we'll get to that but one of the things that's been so encouraging is uh the number of republicans that have actually come out to disagree with donald trump on things like the transgender military ban on certain things like the travel ban. I wouldn't say that there are a lot of full-throated Republicans against that. But right. there are some. There are some. And so, like, does that make it a little bit easier for you all? I mean, when the fact that you've got some Republicans that are speaking out against their own president? Yeah, I think it's different at the state legislative level. I sure. imagine That's a really interesting dynamic in Congress. Um, and there's certainly a lot of moderate Republicans all over the place that don't like Trump. Um but I think this is actually something that organizationally can be challenging for us because we there are so many like federal battles on really important issues going down. Um, and, you know, it's like boots on the ground. Everyone wants everyone mobilized and fighting these battles. But it's like there are 50 state houses dealing with their yeah. own sets of issues. And yeah. a lot of times they're the same similar issues, but they have like their own legislative battles. Like in Michigan, there's a wage theft bill that Democrats are really excited about and just introduced. No one's talking no about one, that. No, one, <laughs> no yeah, one's no, talking about that no. nationally. Um, I mean, I hate to say that it sounds like small fish comparatively, but like when you look at what's going on in the, fa- I mean, w- we have a fascination with the federal level. I mean, even goes back to like the Barack Obama stuff, right? Where we just completely forgot about. Uh, Democrats forgot yeah. about winning in on the state level. They just were like, "Oh, it's okay. We've got Barack Obama in office, and everything's going to be fine." Well, now it's the opposite. Yeah, and we'll see. You know, I, I don't want to say it's a silver lining yet because I think we'll have to see what happens in 2018. But yeah. Clinton's loss did encourage. There's some, I forgot who said it the other day. It was someone on Twitter. I always reference like random things on Twitter. Fair, but it happens. Someone was like, you know, a lot of young men and young people of color were inspired to run for office yeah. with Obama's win, but a lot of women were motivated to run for office after Clinton's loss out of a place of rage. Oh my God, um, yeah, no, I've seen a lot of that. <laughs> but it's like there are 20,000 women running for state and local office um, 
this year and next year. Wow. And I think the, you know, if seeing how many of them can win, the repercussions of that um, on so many levels could be really great. So I think, you know, maybe not all hope is lost if Trump's win encouraged a new generation of leaders to step up and pursue public office. So maybe not all is lost, but um, I think there's a lot that we could yet see next year. That's going to be fascinating next year. Like, a lot of reporting hasn't really been done on it yet because <clears throat> we were still getting to know these candidates. But, like, the candidates that were inspired to run by what happened in 2016 yeah. is going to be really like a decade or two from now when some of them are still in office. Like, yeah. What will the stories be then? Yeah. Well, won't that be, be fun? Uh, Karen Bruggerman, she is the press secretary at Six State Innovation Exchange. Um, you can follow her on Twitter at Karen Bruggerman, K A R Y N, Karen Bruggerman. Um, what else are you guys working on? You got like 30 seconds. Anything else oh, you're God, working 30 on? 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> we're, we're doing a lot. Six has doubled in size this year, and we just hired our first round of state directors. Oh, nice. Um, in six states. So we're really excited. We're growing, we're doing new work. Um, I would say stay tuned, keep watch on what we're up to because. I think good things will be in our future. This is very, very important, and I can't thank you enough for coming to talking to us about it. Yeah, it was really fun to be here. All right, folks, we're going to take a very, very quick break. We will be back with more on the Bill Press Show. Stay tuned. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today on a Friday, November 3rd, all day long. Thank you very much for joining us. I am Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Uh, as you know, if you've watched the show, you know that uh, I can't do this by myself. I, uh, not unlike a wonderful glazed donut, surround an empty, vacuous hole with wonderful goodness. So I brought in Rebecca Vallis to sit in with me for the hour. <laughs> Jamie's in there rolling his eyes. He hates when I do that. This is your worst bit. It's my worst bit? I, I mean, it's not wrong, though. The guests seem to enjoy it, though, so who am I? It's not know? wrong, though. Are you putting me in that category of people who, who allegedly enjoy it? You didn't say anything. You left. I'm just say. sitting here uh, petting a dog. Don't mind me. <laughs> Look, I brought in my giant, stupid dog. A therapy uh, dog for Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. That's what's happening. When when guests have to come in and sit in with me, I bring in a therapy dog. I mean, to help, it's, it's smart. To help them get through it. <laughs> <laughs> to help them get through it. It's proactive. I, I actually, I have to say, I, as someone who tries to prevent trauma before it happens as part of our public policy yeah. landscape, yeah. bringing the dog in on the front end is See, very smart. That's pretty good. It's a proactive approach. As opposed to after the person has fallen to pieces on air, right? <laughs> that is the voice of Managing Director at the Center for American Progress Poverty Team, Rebecca Vallis. She is also the host of Off Kilter, a podcast and show that you should absolutely download and listen to. We are going 
going to be talking a lot about tax reform this hour, so brace thyselves. But it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. We're going to get into all of that. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Jimmy Benson. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Friday morning. Sean Spicer, Anthony Scaramucci, Steve Bannon, Reince Priebus, Sebastian Gorka. Add Sam Clovis to that list. This is so sad. I didn't know we were gonna. Uh, I didn't know if we were gonna have enough time to get into this during the uh, greater portion of the show. So let me get it out here. Sam Clovis, you've seen him on cable TV before. He has about mm, I don't know ten chins. Uh, I shouldn't say that. That's mean. But anyway, Sam Clovis, <laughs> not an actual scientist, was supposed to uh, join the USDA uh, as the department's chief scientist. Now, it wasn't his lack of qualifications that made him withdraw his nomination yesterday. It was the fact that he is uh, being interviewed as a part of the Mueller probe. And yesterday, we also found out that the White House didn't even know that he was going to be interviewed. They found out yesterday. They found out when we found out that Sam Clovis was involved in this, uh, specifically involved with George Papadopoulos. So, Sam Clovis, we hardly knew ye. Uh, will no longer be joining the Trump administration. I, I mean, I, I get that Clovis is a bad guy and unqualified for that job and everything. I just think he's so lovable. Am I crazy? Yeah, it was. You know, Peter, you and I just, for whatever reason, we have this attachment to Sam Clovis. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to see. I'm him sorry go. to see Sam Clovis go. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the Pizza Wars. You saw earlier this week, Papa John's, their CEO John Schnatner. Came out and alleged that uh, well done that um, their their sales were down because of the anthem protests in the NFL. Of oh course. yeah, man, for sure. Papa John's being the official pizza of the National Football League, he had his evidence right there. Well, yesterday Pizza Hut came out and said that they are quote not seeing any impact from NFL player protests. In fact. Pizza Hut sales are doing pretty well. Uh, the brand posted its fifth consecutive quarter of positive same store sales growth. Uh, DiGiorno's Pizza also getting into the fight on Twitter. Uh, they uh, came out with a couple of tweets yesterday against But Papa they're not John. delivery. They're, they're DiGiorno's. Not, that's right. They said, better pizza, better sales. Wow. So good for DiGiorno for coming out swinging on that front. Not better pizza, though. I'm going to have to fact check that. That's correct. That have you had? P- have you ever had? When was the last time you had Pizza Hut pizza? Uh, do you really want me to answer that? Because it was this past weekend. I do. Oh, really? <laughs> I do it once a year. Do you really? I do. Yeah. I have a pretty hard and fast rule. I don't eat boiled pizza. So, <laughs> so I don't they eat. They do the pan pizza, and it's all like buttery and good. Like, come on. It's a childhood it. thing. It's like a memory. Look it at is. you two. Boy, yeah. I didn't expect this argument. Well. My goodness. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show here on a Friday, November 3rd. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. One more hour of the program left. And we are going to be talking a lot about the GOP's attempt at tax reform this hour. Because, uh, to quote the Puffington Host headline, Republican tax reform bill limps across the starting line. We will be talking about that with our guest this hour, Managing Director for the Poverty to Prosperity Program, the Center for American Progress, and host of the Off-Kilter Podcast. Her name is Rebecca Vallis, and she joins us here 
How are you? Well, I have to say, I'd be better if you would stop calling what they're doing tax reform, because yeah, that's right? not what it is. It's not tax reform. By the way, uh, first of all, let me just uh, get a couple plugs out of the way. <laughs> uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also, this weekend, we're going to be dropping our latest episode on Patreon of The Making of Bernie Sanders, where Bill sits down and talks uh, to a couple of different people. This is a twofer. A twofer. We talked to Michael Briggs, communications director, uh, former communications director uh, for Bernie Sanders, and Larry Cohen, who was one of the first, formerly of the CWA, was the first uh, union to come out and actually endorse Bernie Sanders. And they talk a little bit about what the priorities were for Bernie, who some of his friends were in the Senate, who some of, what some of his trademark legislation was in the Senate. You can only get that if you subscribe, patreon.com slash BP show. Also, follow us on Twitter. At BP Show, at BP Show. Jamie, I understand we have a poll up there uh, for people to go vote on. I would just like to say there's a lot of activity on our Twitter account today because we Here put out it. a poll. We also put out a question. Let's get the poll out of the way first. Yeah. Have you lost faith in the DNC after Donna Brazil's excerpt was published alleging the 2016 primary was rigged? It's a pretty close poll right now. Uh, plenty of votes in. 54% of you say yes, you have lost faith in the Democratic National Committee. 46% of you say no. Still fan of Tom Perez leading the ship there at the DNC. Also uh, put out a tweet, uh, just, just a question here, no poll. Should Democrats try to find common ground with Republicans, specifically Trump supporters? Uh, a lot of no's uh, coming, out of, <laughs> coming out of that question. Lots uh, of no's. I just want to read a couple comments here. Jeff, Jeff Allen on Twitter says, Common ground has been washed away by insanity. Republicans live in a fantasy world. As Senator Flake said, what's real is fake. And what's fake is real. Uh, Lewis says if they still support Trump after all that has happened, there is no negotiating because they will not hear us. No. They're lost. So keep those comments coming in. We're on Twitter at BP Show. I hear the chat room's pretty active on the YouTube channel as well. YouTube.com backslash The Bill Press Show. All right, folks, follow us at BP Show, at BP Show. By the way, Rebecca, you're a, you're a Twitter user. You use the Twitter. From time to time, yeah. I have been known to do some tweeting. So your account was not suspended by a rogue Twitter employee, which is what happened to Donald Trump yesterday. His Twitter account was taken down for a uh, suspended for 11 minutes, a Twitter employee on their last day. Do we know what time of day it was? No, I don't remember. Do you know? I think it was mid-afternoon on East Coast time. Because I was okay. going to say, to like really have it be useful, you would have to do that like in the middle of the night. During Fox he... and Friends. <laughs> or while Fox and Friends Or while on. Fox and Friends. Yeah. He must watch reruns, though, because he tweets like in the middle of the night sometimes, or like super early in the morning. Yeah. And he still calls Sean Hannity after his show every night. Constantly. <laughs> Constantly. Oh, boy. Well, look, uh... I have mixed feelings, right, about this uh, this whole thing with Twitter. Like, if this Twitter employee had decided to, like, play a prank and put something really horrible or egregious out, that could have started a world war. That's just the world we live in now. Well, then in that case, he would be, what, taking a page out of Trump's book? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It sounds like right. instead he was a pacifist because he mean, went and suspended the yeah. account that could have caused a world war. Trump can, in fact, cause a world war with his rogue tweets. Oh, but and wow. has come quite close. Uh, Donald Trump tweeting uh, just, oh just over 10 minutes ago. Tweeted. Did you see this yet? No, no, no. Pocahontas just stated that the Democrats, go. led by the legendary crooked Hillary Clinton, rigged the primaries. Let's go, FBI and Justice Department. Oh, We're back. God. 
to Pocahontas. Uh, By the way, that's Elizabeth Warren. Senator Elizabeth Warren for the rest of you. He's back onto that, huh? He hasn't brought that out in a while. Pocahontas. I don't even really have words for that one because it just gets so, so, so icky, right? Like it's- Yeah, sure. No, no, no. I understand. But also, like, this idea... Look, look. It's... it. What Donna Brazile has written and what she has alleged is that there was some uh, rigging between the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC. Okay. Is that collusion against the country like, that Donald Trump is facing? Not even close. Well, that's the thing. The entire the entire thing, right, with, with Trump right now is to try to uh, take the focus off of the, the Mueller probe, right? Like, that's what he's trying to yeah. do. Like, the FBI <clears throat> and the Justice Department is not going to look into what, what, what happened no. to the DNC. No. I mean, he's like he's got people that he's trying to distance himself from with every tweet and with every appearance on TV and everything coming out of his administration that, you know, we're, we're like the people running his campaign, his closest advisors. And he keeps yeah. basically tweeting like, I've, I've never met this person. Right. Like that's his thing. But then he has to turn it on on Hillary and try and make it like she's the one who's actually been colluding when he's got people who were close to his campaign and running his campaign who are now being uh, investigated and, and even in, indicted for uh, things like. Like conspiracy against the United States, yeah, right? I sort of right. want to do the side by side, like <laughs> coordination on the Democratic he, side, and then like conspiracy against the United States. He even tweeted this morning the real story on collusion <laughs> is in Donna B's new book. <laughs> Crooked Hillary bought the DNC and then stole the Democratic primary from Crazy Bernie. That's a tweet from Donald Trump. I mean that that's not the real story on collusion. I'm sorry. Anyway, <clears throat> let's talk about some tax reform. Air quotes. You can't even do it in the in the, the air quotes. I think it's it's giving them it's too still much too much. Credit. No, because it's like let's call it what it is. Right? It's it's Christmas come early for huge wealthy corporations and the richest people in this country. And then the rest of us are sitting around the table hoping that maybe some crumbs fall off of it for us and, and only on a time-limited basis if you read the bill. Right? Yeah. So let's we are get giving it. them a big, beautiful Christmas present in the form of a tremendous tax cut. Like he even he even said it. The only, I mean, like now that's that quote right when he says them, he's talking about quote the middle class. He got everything right except who he was talking about. That's right. I want to read something really quickly. This is uh, from HuffPost. Our good friends are Arthur Delaney and Matt Fuller. <clears throat> the GOP tax plan, bullet points, cuts the corporate tax rate from 35 to 20%. Which is huge. Like, that's huge. Yeah, that's a gigantic cut. And, like, look, while we are not a socialist country by any stretch of the imagination, one thing that, that we did was get that right. I mean, if you make that much money... You know your your tax rate is thirty five percent. Well, and we should be clear here, right? Because the so the the biggest winners in this plan are corporations because of what you just noted, right? We should also talk about how super wealthy people benefit, and and then what's basically not in it for the middle class and for for struggling folks. But on the on the corporation side, right? What you hear from Republicans, and I just sort of want to get this out of the way for anyone listening who want, who sort of wonders about this. You hear over and over again from Trump, from his colleagues in Congress. Oh my God. 
God, oh my God, we have to cut corporate taxes because yeah. it's going to grow the economy and it's going to create jobs. That's their line, right? But it is, I would posit, maybe the biggest economic lie in history, and it's one that's been debunked over oh, only and that. over. <laughs> only the biggest economic lie yeah, in history. I think that's fair to say. And and yet they they come back to it over and over again, right? It's the same with why they say what well, they want to cut taxes for rich people, right? Because oh, it'll trickle down. Well, we, mm. We've already watched that lie be debunked over and over again. Most recently in Kansas, right, where they actually tried this, uh, the the Republican governor there, you know, rammed through all these tax cuts for the richest people in the state. What did you see? You saw a huge, huge budget crisis for Kansas, and then you saw them turn around and have to slash basically everything that the rest of the people in the state rely on, whether it's education or childcare or, you know, basic public assistance, schools, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's what happens when you uh, take away key revenue sources like a progressive taxation system, right? Which is basic. So basically what Trump and his colleagues in Congress are doing with this plan is to say, I know, let's model our federal policy off of failed things that we've seen fail at the federal level in the past, but also fail in the states as recently as last year. And that's Kansas that I'm talking about. So anyway, just wanted to get that out of the way, because for anyone who's heard that talking point just keep in your mind biggest economic lie in history only that <laughs> only that only that when i come in here peter i'm, I'm <laughs> a shrinking violet and i say things that are milk toast right uh second bullet point here the gop tax plan phases out a tax on super wealthy estates this is the Death tax. Oh, my God, the death tax. The death tax. Right. Like, I love that there was even a, a sort of a movement. Um, I saw it on social media, the GOP Twitter handle, and some other people saying, like, young people are so happy to get rid of the, the, the death tax. It's like, what? Young people don't pay a death tax. Young people don't have to deal with the death tax. The death tax, the estate tax, which is what it actually is, affects. The, the richest 0.2% of estates. Excuse me. 0.2% of a state. Is the absolute richest people in this country. Now, I think the reason they like to say young people like it is because the kind of young people who like it are the kind of people who are like Ivanka Trump, yeah, right. who are the heirs of super friggin' rich people right. who would really love to, to inherit all of their money right. when they die. Make no mistake, if you are one of these young people who are... are who have very, 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 very ridiculously wealthy parents. Like, say, Ivanka Trump. Like, say, Ivanka Trump. With the estate tax, you'll still get plenty of money. Well, and and just to like, you know, it's not put, taking that much money out of your pocket. Well, no, and also like, you know, it comes back to the you know the concept of what is a fair taxation system, right? Yeah. I think when you actually put it to the American people and you say, should we have a tax on the richest zero point two percent of estates? Then overwhelmingly, people say, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? If if you're Republicans and you're trying to to uh, skew the polling, what you do is you call it something like the death tax yeah. and you don't tell people what it hits what it, yeah, what it and then actually they think does, it might yeah. actually impact them. Yeah. I just don't want a poor person. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Uh, <laughs> Keep the clips coming. They get better and better. He's still president. Yeah. He's yeah. still president. Still 2017, Peter. God. Oh my God. We, we haven't even made it a year since the election day. No, we haven't. We haven't even made it past two bullet points in this plan yet either. <laughs> Although I will say we're doing better than we usually do because we haven't talked about jean jackets. Jean jackets. We haven't talked about pot. Yeah. Um, uh, well, well, maybe we kind of just did. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. We did talk about pizza. 
We did, we talk, did about talk about pizza. pizza. That's true. Although I feel like we got cut off there because you and I were like, you know, kind of bonding over our, our, our shared no. and bizarre and secret appreciation, although not secret anymore, of Pizza Hut. I don't eat Pizza Hut. You too, clearly, you like Pizza Hut. That's okay. Do you eat the other two brands at all? Ever? No, never. Domino's or no, Papa John's? No. I don't like no, Domino's. Never. Papa John's in desperate times. Yeah. But not anymore. I've never understood Papa John's. Um, but, but it, you know, it has nothing to do with the, the protesting. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I have to, I actually need to mount an argument for Pizza Hut for a second because if you, if you, what I mean, is we'll, happening? we'll come back Are you to serious? the, I'm being serious here just for a we, minute. We'll, we got plenty of time we, to talk to we'll Rebecca is laying out a dis- dissertation. I on honestly, Pizza Hut. I go. honestly, let's, I, let's go. I think, I think like 12 years ago, I went to a party that had Pizza Hut. And I ate Pizza Hut. Other than that, that's the that's honestly the. See, last but this thing. is it. This it's sort of like the Buick commercials where people like look at the car that comes down there. Everyone's like, "Oh, it's so beautiful," and then they're like, oh, "That's a Buick, right?" I sort of feel like <laughs> if you haven't had Pizza Hut in a while, like now's the time to try it again because they did they and they're not paying me. I mean, maybe they should be. So yeah. if you're this listening, is pretty effective. If you're listening, Pizza Hut. But there's a there's this pizza they do that's like the pan pizza. It's like deep, right? And so it, it's like it's like got this deep thick crust and it's kind of buttery and it all like melts together but here's just to be clear and to redeem myself in your eyes because I'm watching you Peter look at me no 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 lose no. respect look I've had I have a lot of food lows <laughs> all right I have a lot of food lows Pizza Hut ain't one of them but here's, but here, I understand here is why here's why I'm not in this defense because in DC where you have very limited pizza options right we're if not we a good were, pizza town. if we were in New York I would not be ordering Pizza Hut because sure. I could go get a real slice right even when I was in Philly they had real pizza right in DC it's extremely Extremely limited, especially Facts. what will deliver. And so I actually don't look for real pizza. I look for what DC has and and might make me happy. And it's barely even pizza, look but it's, it's a food product that gives <sighs> me joy. And, at- and the real pizza in DC, so very little of it, is far too expensive. It's wise for guys, like, basically. Yeah, right. You know, Which is right. great, a but it doesn't deliver. And yeah. like, if if they could change that for me, then maybe I would be making different life choices. You guys ever have Little Caesars pizza? Oh, God, I loved that when I was yes. a kid. Yeah, the square ones. The square ones. The square ones were so good. It, there's a thing, there's a, such a thing as Detroit-style pizza. Did you hear about this? Mm-mm. No, really? Yeah. It's the deep, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the like the, the original Pizza Hut, like deep dish, buttery yeah. thing, right? Like thing that's I'm talking ki- about. That's kind of a Detroit-style. It's very, oh. very, very deep dish, and essentially, the crust, as it bakes, Essentially gets fried in butter and See, oil. This is why you should be eating Pizza Hut pizza because it's basically an excuse to eat fried dough <laughs> that's t- covered in butter that has cheese and sauce with it. I mean, it's hard to go wrong with that, right? Re- Rebecca Vallis is the new spokeswoman for Pizza Hut. Yeah, right. <laughs> also, I know my audience. I'm yeah. looking at Peter here. <laughs> One thing about Little Caesars that you saw the the headline that popped up this week again: the Little Caesars founder died earlier this year. Yeah, and there oh, was a story back in February about how he paid Rosa yeah. Parks's rent for years. Yeah. So I think Little Caesars comes out uh, near the top. But are they in DC? They I have found a Little Caesars in DC. I don't know if they have Little Caesars here within the district, <laughs> but out in uh, suburban Maryland, where I am, they definitely have Little Caesars. Well, feel free to bring me some. I the, should the next time we hang out. I should bring in some of that deep dish uh, yeah. thing. If it's not going to be a dog, it should be Little Caesars pizza. We should point out that I, we do have a dog in studio. <laughs> like, uh, kudos to you for spending the first half of the interview like petting my dog. Yeah. Who it's, now he's tired. Look at him. Well. Stomach rubs are exhausting. Yeah, I'll give you that. 
Robert Wisniewski on Twitter says uh, about the Papa John's pizza, I would rather eat the damn box. <laughs> wow. Wow. I feel like I've just lost all of your listeners. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. That's well, we okay. can go back to talking about the tax plan. All right, the tax plan. People the tax would prefer plan. to listen to, to that. Tax plan. All right. So uh, bullet point number three out of this piece uh, mo- makes more wealthy families eligible for the child tax credit. Yeah. So we got we got to deal by with the way, this. One. By the way, if you're going to have a kid, let's be clear. The number one reason to do it is for the child tax credit. Oh, yeah. Because like getting getting like, you know, a thousand dollars. Oh my God! Totally a reason to have a kid, right? Yeah. That's going to cover diapers yeah. and cribs, totally. and childcare <laughs> and transportation to school. It practically pays for itself. Oh wow, yeah. Because I mean, you you've you've you know made the mistake of having kids, right? So you you should know a thing or two about this. As a non procreator yes. myself, yeah. I just know this from my friends. Yes. Um, but kids are expensive, right? And so you've got Ivanka Trump. Back to Ivanka. Ivanka kind of going out there for like the last several months, and also you know during the campaign. Um, during her, her father's campaign, promising that she was going to spearhead this huge, you know, child care and paid leave, this whole agenda that was for women, women and families, right? That was the pitch. And now all we've seen to date is a really, really uh, paltry paid leave plan that covers, like, you know, not nearly anyone who would actually need it. Um, and then a, uh, a supposed child care plan that's actually just uh, uh, some increases to the child tax credit overwhelmingly benefit the families who least need it and still missing the people at the bottom who actually really need an increase in the child tax credit. So if, if that's what she's going to call child care, then uh, I think she she's you know in good company with mm. former, uh, say, Republican presidents who didn't know the price of milk. <laughs> A little out of touch. A little out of touch. You know, like as I listen to you sort of dissect this, none of this stuff sounds new. None of it's new. I mean, there are a couple of other pieces I think we should probably note, right? There's there's actually a loophole in this tax bill that is like specifically for Trump. It is it is a Christmas present wrapped in a bow for him personally. Yeah. And we've been calling it the Trump loophole. What it would do is it would it would cut taxes on so-called pass-through uh, corporations, right? So basically, it's like creating a whole new tax shelter for rich people mm. who want to dress up for Halloween as small businesses and then see their income taxed less, right? It's, so it's a tax break for Donald Trump, who would personally benefit because of all of his real estate corporations that he has coded as those kinds of companies, right? So that's in there. Um, uh, the estate tax also, the, the repeal of the estate tax would hugely benefit. We mentioned him, him, uh, his own family, his heirs. Um, but let's focus on what it does for the middle class and for struggling folks, right? Because that's the piece that I think is being most misleadingly reported mm-hmm. by most in the media. A bunch of the headlines yesterday, which really kind of screwed it up. I did a bunch of tweeting about this because I was so frustrated. The headlines were at Rebecca Vallis. By at the way. Rebecca Vallis, Vallis spelled like Dallas with a V. You'll never forget it again, Peter. Oh, wow. um, v for victory. V, or, or yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> also, other things that start with V. Anyway, so the I was doing a bunch of tweeting yesterday because, like Violet, you know, I yeah. usually I usually say Violet. You know, when people can't sure. spell my name on the phone, they're like, "How do you spell it?" And I'm like, "V like Violet." Yeah. Yeah. You're, v like violent. Yeah. Or no, no, like the color. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's terrible. No, V like violet, like for the color or the flower. It's been, a, it's been a dark couple of months for Peter. I so. feel like this escalated quickly. We live in hell. <laughs> Gotta stop doing that. 
I mean, Peter, we need to go like have a drink and talk about how you're doing. <laughs> I'm not doing well. I'm not doing well. <laughs> hey, dog, go over there. Go, come here, go come here, come here. Get, you, get out, out of here. He needs, he needs to be cheered up. He needs to be <laughs> yeah, cheered up. Yeah, see, this is the therapy dog. I already feel better. So, there we go. So, so many of the headlines yesterday were, were basically repeating the Republican talking points, right? Some of them, I actually have to call out the New York Times. The New York Times literally reprinted the talking oh, points. Oh, my God. Like, ah, the image. It drives me crazy. Crazy. They embedded the image of the talking points, right? They were quoting the talking points. Folks, uh, that's not reporting, by the way. Anyway, so Folks. a bunch of the headlines were like, oh, Republicans want to give the middle class a giant tax cut. It was literally the talking points. And guess what? Guess what's in it for the middle class? Well, at best, scraps. Right. Literally sitting around the table watching the the rich people in the corporations eat some, you know, five course meal while the rest of us are hoping for crumbs and and time limited crumbs. Right. Because they actually, unlike the corporate tax cut we were talking about or the estate tax repeal, they actually make some of the provisions that would help middle class families even just a a tiny bit. They make them expire after five years. Oh, come on. Right. They're tiny and they're short lived. Right. Ah. So that's what they're doing. Um, And then there are a whole bunch of provisions in the bill that would actually raise taxes for middle class families and for struggling folks. Things like uh, removing the uh, uh, deduction for student loan interest. If you're a person with student loans, you're going to see your taxes increase because of this. Uh, There's a a piece in there that would actually uh, eliminate something called the medical expense deduction. If you're a person who maybe has gone through cancer treatment, right, or or uh, anything else that increases your medical bills to a point that are hard to afford, you're losing a tax deduction there that helps a lot of people make ends meet. Um, if you're a family that wants to adopt, they eliminate the adoption tax credit, right? They were like going out of their way. There's a there's a, a, a provision buried in the bill that would eliminate tax credits for small businesses trying to be accessible to people with disabilities. Right. So they basically scoured the tax code and they found like everything that actually helps struggling folks and, and middle class folks. And they they gave it all the acts. And then they're handing people peanuts for five years, mm-hmm. hoping they won't notice the rest of it. It's so bad. I mean, it's so bad. It's Peter. just so, so bad. Um, we have time for one more of these bullet points from uh, Puffington Host where they said uh, this tax reform bill keeps the top bracket at 39.6%, but but sets the rate at a much higher income level. So, again, right, like that top bracket is still going to be at almost 40%. But the point here is that the income that puts you into that bracket is going to be so much higher. So, again, it's going to be a lot more people getting getting that break. That's right. That's a right. lot more Donald Trump friends and companies. Well, and they also, and this hasn't gotten talked a lot, a lot about because it's kind of wonky, but they also eliminate something called the alternative minimum tax, right, which is something, and, and specifically for families, like, making $200,000 or more a year. We spend a lot of time talking about peats and weeds, so we can get wonky and well, talk about this stuff. Only briefly, but yeah. I, that one's important because it's it's actually the, the biggest taxation on, say, Donald Trump's income, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, I was going to ask you about that. Like, how much of this is going to impact... Just Donald Trump, not his friends or his cronies or his business, like actually Donald Trump. Well, Peter, I wish we could answer that question, oh, but God. it's it's just the darndest thing. The man hasn't released his tax returns. I hate when that happens. Funny about that. <laughs> Huge tax plan, 
No tax returns. First uh, time in modern history. The president hasn't released them. Just your daily reminder. But that means we actually don't know a ton about how this will impact him. We can, we've can we done what we can to analyze around the margins, but uh, he still hasn't released his tax returns. And people need to keep yelling about that because he just keeps thinking we're going to forget. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, hey, I want to ask you, because we're going to talk more about the tax plan uh, in the next segment with tax reporter for Politico Pro, Bernie Becker. Uh, but I want to ask you about this piece from American Progress. Work requirement proposals would kick struggling workers when they're down. Now, that doesn't sound like the Trump administration. Do you, I thought they were all about helping workers. Peter, I, f- I, feel like, I feel like now I know what you do in your spare time, which is you just go to AmericanProgress.org and you hit refresh to see if I've written anything. Duh. Is that true? Duh. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't have a lot of free time, but when I do have it, that's what I do. It's a, well, you know what? I'm glad you brought it up because it's a great it's a great. Uh, segue into also connecting the dots here um, between what the Republicans in Congress and Donald Trump are trying to do with their tax plan and then who's going to pay for it, right? So we just walked through uh, all the ways that corporate, or lots of the ways anyway, there's lots more, that corporations will have Christmas come early, that the ultra-rich will be better situated to buy a second yacht or maybe a second jet if you're like uh, uh, Jeff Immelt, former uh, CEO of GE. Always have that second jet hand. Andy. Always have that second yeah, jet flying behind you. Have it empty. Have it empty. It must be empty. Just in case. That's Heaven actually forbid. that's a real thing, by the way, folks. That actually used to happen when he ran GE. Yep. Um, so, uh, in addition to all of that, and and then all this, you know, the, the tiny scraps that are time limited for for middle class folks and struggling folks, uh, we we would be totally remiss if we didn't then say, by the way, guess how Republicans want to pay for all of these Christmas presents to their their donor class? Mm. They want to jack up the deficit by $1.5 trillion, right, just in 10 years. Uh, and and wait a second, didn't they hate the deficit, Peter? Am I, am I hallucinating? Because I thought they hated the deficit. Well, it turns out they don't hate the deficit if it's all to give huge tax breaks to rich people and corporations. But I sort of have a suspicion that they're not going to hate the deficit come like next year when they turn around, because we know they're going to do this because they've always done this, turn around and say, oh, my God, the deficit, (laughs) it is just so large and unsustainable. Guess we can't afford Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, education, infrastructure, everything else. And I'm not like you don't have to take this from me. Right. Look at their budgets. Yeah. Look at their budgets, because that is a roadmap of how they want to pay for all of these tax cuts to rich people and corporations. It's by slashing everything that the rest of us rely on. Uh, January 26th of 2011, Paul Ryan tweeted out, as a result of Washington's reckless spending spree, the budget deficit equals one point five trillion this year. Yesterday, new Joint Tax Committee says the House GOP tax bill will add 1.57 tr- or 1.5 trillion to the deficit. It's sort of like one of those who wore it better side by sides, <laughs> right? Like like Paul Ryan when yeah. he was Chicken Little, yeah. or the actual tax plan he's backing that would do exactly what he said like 10 seconds ago was oh, the God. worst thing anyone could do. So, right, it's it's massive hypocrisy, but we have to be calling... And deficits really don't matter, frankly. I mean, no, I'm not a deficit and that's hawk. And that's, and that's yeah. sort of one of the problems that Democrats yeah. have. Yeah. Like, they can't really run around and say, like, hey, the Republicans are adding 1.5 to the deficit. Well, like, 
it really doesn't matter. It's I think that there are, there are two main problems with with what they're doing here. Well, really three. One of them's hypocrisy, right? I think hypocrisy is worth calling out. But aside from hypocrisy, there's the uh, there's the fact that if we're going to increase the deficit, and I personally am a huge fan of spending money with uh, deficit increases, yeah. but I I would uh, do that only in certain cases, right? Things like I don't know, uh, uh, increasing and expanding programs that help people who are struggling to make ends meet, or yeah. uh, actually uh, getting out of recessions, like through stimulus packages, right? There are good reasons to engage in deficit spending. Giving tax cuts to billionaires so they can buy another yacht or a second jet, or huge tax uh, cuts to corporations, like no, I don't think that's a good reason to increase the deficit. But point three. And this, I think, is the most important one, right? Sitting here, not a deficit hawk, as I have just said, but I think what people need to understand, if nothing else, is is what I said before. It's a two-step, right? Step one, for Republicans, massively increase the deficit. Step two, turn around and scream about the deficit as a uh, cover for slashing all the programs yeah. that they already wanted to cut anyway, because we know, because they said it in their budget. Yeah. Gets a little weedy, but... <laughs> See, now, oh, we're back on the weed again. And thank uh, you for that, because that was all way too serious there for like a solid five minutes. Uh, it's Friday, November 3rd. I am joined by Rebecca Vallis. She's the host of the Off Kilter Show, the podcast, which you can get uh, on all of the favorite places that you get your podcasts. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Bernie. Bernie will be here, tax reporter for Politico Pro, Bernie Becker. We're going to dig deeper into the Republican Tax reformish bill. Stay tuned. My name is Peter Ogburn. Sitting in for Bill Press. We'll be right back. This, this George Papalopoulos. Download our podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show here on a November 3rd, a Friday edition. Remember, folks, we put the podcast up uh, right after the program. So if you aren't subscribed to our podcast, go do it right now uh, on your Apple iTunes podcast or whatever it is that you use to get your podcast. We put it up there uh, every single day. No commercials, full show. Uh, so go check that out. Just look for the Bill Press Show in podcasts. Uh, we have some breaking news. I believe we have some breaking news, Jamie Benson. Yes, sir. I don't have the sounder, but let's just go ahead and do this. That's right. Breaking That's news. All right. That's all right. The Labor Department has released its official hiring and unemployment figures for October. Oh, here we go. The economy has added <clears throat> just uh, 2006, uh, uh, excuse me, 261,000 okay, jobs last right, month. Right, right. Forgot how to read numbers. There we go. The unemployment rate was 4.1%. September's jobless rate was 4.2%. Uh, and average earnings fell by one cent an hour and are up by 2.4% over the past year. So a rebound from the hurricane September slump. Um, the initial estimate was that we'd see a jump of 325,000 jobs. I was going to say, this is, I mean, I'm not trying to pile on because this happens often, but this was below expectations. This was about 100,000 short of where they had expected it to be. The August jobs report was revised to the upside. They added 
208,000, or excuse me, it changed it from 169 to 208. So um, we always put that out there, you know, 4.1 is 4.1. We'll, we'll take that. But if you ask Trump what the job numbers are, right, you would hear that he created like six million yeah, right, new right, right. like coal mining These jobs. Are the highest right? job numbers we've ever seen, folks. Well, specifically coal mining, because I, yeah. I think he keeps claiming it's like, you know, th- like all these hundreds of millions of coal mining jobs. And it's like, um, have you met all of the, like all six of the coal miners who are left in the United States? Oh, boy. That is the voice of managing director for the Poverty to Prosperity Program at the Center for American Progress and host of the Off-Kilter podcast, Rebecca Vallis. Hi, Rebecca. Hey, Peter. We uh, are joined by tax reporter for Politico Pro, Mr. Bernie Becker. You can follow him on Twitter at Bernie Becker 3 and read his fine, fine work. At Politico.com. Bernie, thanks for showing, joining the show. Thanks for having me. You know, Bill's a big Bernie guy. Of course, we have <laughs> yeah, Bernie in, in you know, studio. I'm, my life was a lot easier before he became really famous. I believe I could, that. Because I, I could hear my name and I could turn around, but now everybody's <laughs> talking about Bernie Sanders. And I was like, yeah. I used to be the one. Yeah, we just spent all day saying, like, yeah. Bernie's on the show today. <laughs> yeah. and like, we'll just let people figure it out. So right? you're, you're the other Bernie? The other Bernie. Is that, how you, is yeah. that yeah. what you go by? Yeah. How many cheap jokes have you gotten from friends and family members? Oh, it's it's innumerable. Right? Yeah, I believe yeah. that. Has Feel the Burn been yeah, exactly. just haunting you and your <laughs> Feel nightmares? Feel the Burn! Yeah. Feel the Burn. I got that before Bernie Sanders got popular, oh. but it got especially popular. <laughs> got yeah. uh, well, you write about tax taxes for Politico Pro, and so that is... Uh, one of the places that I want to start with you. Which means you also drink a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, good grief. And, and, and don't sleep enough, but yes. Yeah, so we, we have a lot in common. That's a very decent thing. A lot thing in common, about. Bernie. A very decent <laughs> thing. And to brag about how much you drink and how little Oh, sleep. also that, yeah. right? Right. That's a very, very DC thing. <laughs> yeah. um, I, w- I want to start, first of all, we'll get into some of the sort of nonpartisan stuff with this tax stuff, but from thinkprogress.org, mm. uh, Republicans' middle class tax cut quotes, quote, middle class tax cut, overwhelmingly benefits the richest. So, like, I just want to take a look at this from your perspective as someone who covers Mm -hmm. this nonpartisan, just looks at it. uh, How big of a middle class tax cut is this really going to be? Because if you listen to Republicans, Jamie, I want to grab that clip from Kevin Brady. Yesterday, Kevin Brady was out there saying that middle class Americans are going to get a $1,200 check every year. For a middle-income family of four making $59,000 a year, as the Speaker said, this bill delivers tax cut of nearly $1,200. All right. Well, that is hard to argue with, right? Yes. Um, so to sort of take this a step back, you know, the, the one thing Donald Trump said he had to have in this bill was a 20% corporate rate, right? Yeah. And so to get that permanently, what Republicans did, as Rebecca was saying, was they cut off the, these family credits at five years. Yeah. So there is some you know, pretty persuasive research that suggests that once those five years are up, you know, six, seven years down the line, that, those tax, that, that tax cut that Mr. Brady's talking about will then disappear. Yeah. So um, Doesn't sound so nice now <laughs> when you put it that way. Um, so those corporate ones didn't seem to have right. a, any kind of sunsets, did they? Right. Well, and the, so, but the other thing to think about here is sort of the, you know, when you're creating legislation like that, what are the Democrats going to keep, right? A $300 credit for families? Probably. So in five years, you're going to come at them. So the, so they'll get the good numbers to get what they need to get. And then in five years, when they come to Democrats, they'll be like, are you really going to let a, a you know, $300 per person credit expire? And they'll probably say no. Yeah, I mean, that's, one of the, that's like one of the yeah. golden rules of politics. Yeah. Once you give people something, you really can't take it back. Right. Especially when it comes to... Well, the Republicans found this out with Obamacare, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you give people... Yeah. Healthcare? Are you really going to go out there and say like, "Well, we're going to take that away from you"? You just, you really can't do that. 
So this is a very tricky situation, I think. Um, I, I want to talk specifically about that corporate tax rate because um, the c- corporate tax rate they, they're cutting from 35 to 20%. This is what mm-hmm. their proposal is, which is a pretty steep cut. That's mm-hmm. a big, big cut. Yeah. And the argument for that is, again, like a phrase that's been kicked around for a long, long time, trickle-down economics. Mm-hmm. You give these these employers and these businesses uh, more money, they'll share the wealth. They'll mm. trickle it down. Has that proved, because I've heard this for years, has that proven to be an effective way to to, to deal with this? Well, so, you know. You're Politico, and I know you're going to be fun, I mean, nonpartisan. And, and that's, that's why yeah, I had you on. I, yeah. I really just want to talk about, like, the numbers. And, like, has there been, because a lot of Republicans, like, Trickle down economics slash Reaganomics, a lot of people will also call it, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, my argument is you look at what happened with the recession mm-hmm. uh in in you know, two thousand seven, two thousand six, two thousand eight, that those those whole periods. And you look at the companies that survived it, they survived it by figuring out how to thrive mm-hmm. without making as much money, which means they made cuts, they cut jobs, uh and they never went back to the old way of doing things once the economy got better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I think, like, look, anybody who is on either side of the argument can point to something, right? Sure. I, mean, I think the, 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 the early 80s Reagan tax cut did spark the economy a lot. Or yeah. let's put it this way. Like, you can never know for sure, right? There was a lot of economic and job growth after they did that. Other tax cuts, the George W. Bush ones, weren't quite as successful. So that's, I mean, it's sort of choose your own adventure in a way, right? I mean, sure. Um, but, I, I mean, I think... One of the reasons you want to cut the corporate rate, and uh, is that, you know, it's thirty five percent now, but like you know, Apple's paying in the single digits. Like a lot of our yeah. major companies are not paying that much. But so, one of the arguments is if you take that down to a level, then maybe they won't be using all their energy to you know funnel things through the Cayman Islands and that sort of thing. Hot take. I think they'll still <laughs> use their energy to well, do that. That's why there are rules within <laughs> this House GOP tax plan to keep that from happening. What is the reality of this actually happening? That's that's the other question I have. Like Bill swears and will say up and down that they're not going to get this done. Um, well, what's this? That's the question, right? Sure. That's. I mean, like in this form that it's in. This. Yeah. This. Uh, this is actually what tax reporters like in our spare time discuss. This is how. I, this, I believe this is that. how fun we are. I, you know, I think it's. I think they have. It landed well with within the House Republican conference yesterday, which is a good first step. Um, how, how this bill is written because of like the weird wonky Senate rules, like it could not pass as is. It's it just would not pass those rules. They'd have to totally change it. Yeah. So there's so many different hurdles they have to get. I mean, hurdle one was they got a bill out and their own conference didn't like revolt. So that's you know so that just shows how much <laughs> fur, further they have to go. Fair. So I think I I think it's I would say the chances are higher than I would have thought. You know, two months ago, four months ago, but I still think there are so many landmines along the way here. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll probably end up having they'll pass something yeah. on taxes, but I think something this sort of sweeping. They need a win. They do need a win. I mean, the the administration, Republicans in general, they they just need something to point to to say that mm-hmm. they got it done. But I, I think the the point that you just made is is one that's really worth underscoring. Right, there are a lot of hurdles that they face right now, and some of them are actually procedural. We saw this. It's it's basically the same thing we watched with healthcare. Right. So because they want to use something called wait, I'm going to get wonky. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> that's all right. That's gonna, all right. They're going to use something called reconciliation. Right. And we mm-hmm. learned everyone became a reconciliation expert right during the healthcare fight. Um, but what it means is if they 
they want to try to use a method of getting this to pass through the Senate with only Republican votes and they don't need a single Democratic vote, then they have to use they have to fit the uh, the the package into a certain box that has certain rules attached to it. And one of those rules, which gets gets talked about a lot in these contexts, is called the Bird Rule. And and it actually has uh, very specific kind of pieces of it, like maybe the bill can't add to the deficit after 10 years, right, which this one currently would do. So mm-hmm. uh, what Bernie just said is really important. The way this House bill is constructed, it can't actually move through the Senate with only Republican votes, and they're going to have to figure out what to do about that. I, I want to play a clip of uh, <clears throat> Chuck Schumer, Jamie, that second clip that we had this morning, because he talked about this. And uh, he points to the fact that Republicans are really kind of rushing this through. To rush a bill like this through without a hearing, without scores, without experts looking at it, all the businesses want to look at it. Everybody wants to look at it. They're trying to rush it through. Why? They're ashamed of this bill. Are Republicans trying to rush this through? Uh, they may be trying to rush the shoe. I don't think they're ashamed of it, though. I, mean, I think they've been, <laughs> they've been pretty loud and proud about this. Yeah. So, um, look, you know, everyone looks at the, the, the 1986 tax reform as the gold standard for this. And, you know, that took probably the full two-year Congress to really – and they're trying to do that in a six-week span. I don't think anyone thinks that that's – I mean, I guess if they if they pulled it off, I would I would have to eat a lot of crow. And I maybe I will. But I think it's <laughs> – Hey, it's, anything's possible <laughs> these right, days, right, man. That's true. I think it's it's – they need to move quickly. And I think part of it is is that, you know, if you put a, a deadline at the end of the year, then I don't think anyone's going to really punish them if it slips into February or March. But they also have to sort of let their own troops know that, like, you got to move here. You can't just be, you know, no dawdling, you know. But this is another this is another similarity to the healthcare fight, right? Yeah. Where like they with with healthcare, with trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act and end Medicaid as we know it, what they were trying to do was ram through legislation that would impact one sixth of the, the national economy and tens of millions of Americans, really actually many more than that, not just the people who would have lost health insurance. A lot of people would have lost uh, coverage uh, because of pre existing conditions and so forth. And they were trying to do that without holding a single hearing, yeah. without any opportunity for debate, and without even like CBO scores and basic stuff, right? There's no reason to believe they're not trying to do that here. All signs indicate that this is a backroom, kind of smoke-filled backroom uh, plan, and that's what it's been so far. And that's why people like John McCain are right now in the spotlight, because he yet again has said he wants to see, quote, regular order um, when it comes to this tax debate. Uh, It's not what we're seeing yet. And will he again um, actually oppose legislation on the basis of regular order like he did with health care? Yeah. Look, say what you will about the way that the Affordable Care Act was gotten through, right? And a lot of people point and say that Democrats rushed that through. I mean, we spent so much time debating and talking, and it was brought out, and the CBO scores were done. Hundreds of amendments. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it went on forever, and this isn't even going to have the opportunity for that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's going to be a markup in the Ways and Means in the House next week. The Senate's going to release a bill. They're going to go through the Finance Committee. I mean, it's... It's not the regular order that I think a lot of people want to see, but I mean they're gonna. It's gonna be in the open. They're gonna. They're gonna try. They're gonna amend it. Democrats are gonna bring amendments that will probably not pass, but are meant to embarrass Republicans. I mean, sure. it's sort of old-fashioned yeah. you know, legislating, right? Yeah, there, wheel right? in the sky yeah. keeps on turning. We yeah. just keep on doing the <laughs> yeah. same thing, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I want to play two clips from Paul Ryan because he's he's sort of been given the task of. I mean, he's Speaker of the House. He's gonna go out there and sort of sell this mm-hmm. baby. Uh, why do this is the question that Paul Ryan addressed. 
This plan is for the middle-class families in this country who deserve a break. And he also goes on to say... We're going to get this done because we told the American people this is what we're going to do if we get this majority. And guess what? We're doing it. Um, Middle-class families is, is sort of the way that they're pushing this. But at the same time, uh, we have to point out that they are again trying to get rid of the estate tax in this plan, uh, also known as the death tax, which doesn't really affect or do anything for middle-class families. Right. So I think one of the interesting things here is that, you know, Paul Ryan and Donald Trump on policy are sort of um, an uneasy marriage or not, or they're not like natural allies, right? I mean, I think you asked Paul Ryan a year ago if he'd be, when he was selling tax reform, if he would be talking about helping the middle class. That's not really the way he did it. He would say like, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to cause economic growth and that's going to all, you know, rising tide lifts all boats and we're going to get this economy moving. And it wasn't going to be like a focused on the middle class kind of thing. So now, but that's what the president wants, and the president has a lot, lot of megaphones, so that's the way they're doing it. Um, but it is, it doesn't, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem natural for him to sort of speak about it in that way, I don't think. Yeah. No. No, I mean, I don't, I, go ahead, go ahead. Peter, I love this. You're like in the middle of a thought, and you're like, no, no, Rebecca has something to say. No, 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 this you, is look, why, you look like you had something to say. I, you're a big brain here. I'd I'd like d- to this is your... why I come back on this show, Bernie, just so you know, because <laughs> of this. So, no, I think I think like the thing to the thing to say, right, the thing to know about this is it, there's one reason why they are calling a tax plan that overwhelmingly, and this is in, this is undisputed, overwhelmingly benefits corporations and the wealthy compared which, to but, the middle class. Which, right? by the way, like you can take that however yes. you want, right? Like you could say, like, oh, the wealthy are going to help distribute the wealth yeah. farther down, but you can't deny that this is a tax cut for the wealthy. You can't deny that, right? So, and corporations, which is actually they're the, they're the sure, biggest yes, benefactors right. here. But th- there's one reason why we are seeing Trump and Republicans in Congress package this and and talk about it as though it's a middle class tax cut, and that's because when you actually ask the American people what they want, the answer is overwhelmingly not to cut taxes right. for rich people and corporations. In fact, three quarters of Americans across party lines. An NPR poll recently said they actually don't want to see taxes cut for rich people and corporations. And that's why to sell this plan, you have to call it something it isn't, or else it's going to be just as unpopular as trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And that's what they're afraid of. Yeah. I mean, I like I said earlier, like we're clearly not a socialist country and our economy is not based on socialism in any real way, shape or form. But I think that the message of like a Bernie Sanders and the message of the Democrats in 2016 was like, hey, look, these guys are going to pay. They, they, these people, if you make this much money, you 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 must pay. And so people like that message. People agree with that message. I Obama, think Obama won a second term in part on that message. Sure. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that he did as much as he could have or should have. But that You're was, not alone in that. That was, <laughs> that was part of his message for sure. Yeah. So like. When I should have said that NPR poll didn't just find people didn't want to see taxes cut on corporations and the rich people. They actually want to see taxes increased on those entities, yeah, right? So, like, right. this is the opposite of what Americans actually answer when they're asked. Okay, so let's say we get ourselves into a situation like the repeal of the Affordable Care Act, which did not happen. At least um, not yet. We not had a knock yet, on all wooden yet, surfaces. Not yet. And I think a lot of it had to do with the sort of pushback to Republicans. What do Democrats, what is their leg to stand on here if they want to try and kill this? Well, I think, you know, I don't think debt is a good one, as you guys were saying. Yeah. I got on. I'm not sure that one's going to work. I do think so. You know, 
this is a 1.5, this is written as a $1.5 trillion tax cut. And so one of the things you've heard, you know, Republicans say is that, you know, this is a really complex tax code. We're going to cut things here and lower rates. So there's no way to know for sure that, you know, some people's taxes aren't going to be raised. But I think, you know, it's one of the things I think you'll see is that it's a $1.5 trillion tax cut. If you wanted to make sure every middle class family got a tax cut, you have $1.5 trillion to do it. You could yeah. have done it. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. So I think that's one message you'll see. And I, I think that one, you know, could have some legs, honestly. What do you think Democrats have to do here? I think the the answer is it's going to be very similar to the healthcare fight, right? It's it's this is not a this is not a fight that's going to be won or lost in Washington or even really in the halls of Congress. It's going to be won or lost in the streets and in uh, local congressional districts and in the states, right? People across this country are going to rise up and in their indivisible chapters or uh, through Move On, through all those organizations, right? That that um, people have have really been leveraging to raise their voices and let their members of Congress. Know Know how they feel about this. They are. We're going to see widespread opposition. And you know, if you're a member of Congress, you wake up in the morning, you put your pants on, you put on your shoes, your socks, and the, the only thing you're thinking about uh, while you're drinking your coffee is, man, I really hope I get reelected. Yeah, really hope. And my- let's be clear; those are the thoughts that go through these people's right. heads. I really hope people like me, man. I hope yeah, I don't have yeah. any negative headlines in my local paper, right? And so when you start to see pressure build uh, at the local level and at the state level of constituents rising up and saying. This ain't why I put you here. And by the way, I'm going to hand you a pink slip if you sign up to vote for this. Um, All eyes are going to be on people like, you know, Susan Collins from Maine and Jeff Flake. Right. And and, and actually John McCain, Bob Corker, folks, all of which have already started to cast doubt on whether they would support this plan. Um, And so that that's that's, I think, the thing to watch is really people in the streets raising their voices. Bernie, we have less than a minute left. Uh, That went really fast. Yeah, it it flies by. (laughs) What's the next step here? Uh, what are we going to see next? So uh, on Monday, so just you know, a couple of days, the Ways and Means Committee is going to start considering this. Bill it's Friday. Up. I lose I track. Know, I lose track. I too. literally, you could tell me it's any day. <laughs> it's it's Blur's Day. Today. Yeah. Blur's Day. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Ways and Means going to going to have a bill on in the committee. They're going to mark it up. Senate's supposed to release a bill next week. Um, House wants to pass a bill by Thanksgiving. So just every day is going to matter. They, all the days matter now. November will be a very big month for actual policy, maybe. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Maybe it won't just be like a repeat of infrastructure week where it's just constantly something else that we're talking about. Uh, tax reporter for Politico Pro, Bernie Becker. Thank you so much for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at BernieBecker3. Read his good work at Politico.com. And Rebecca Vallis, host of Off Kilter, which you can find a new episode coming out today. Every Friday, baby. All right, go listen to it. Thank you very this much for uh, listening and watching. This is the Bill Press Show.